Pastor James called me, I guess it's been about a week and a half ago, maybe two weeks ago, and asked me if I would consider speaking on Memorial Day Sunday. I was instantly overwhelmed with various thoughts. So overwhelmed, in fact, that I didn't process much of what he said after the words, consider speaking. Though I felt both honored and humbled to be asked, I also felt very unworthy of the opportunity. Yes, as had been mentioned, I served 23 years in one of the armed services, a portion of that time fighting in the war on drugs, at other times in some very difficult life-saving missions where I felt my own life was at risk. But I had never served in a combat zone, never had to face the prospects of dying on a battlefield. My father had served overseas in the Korean War. My wife, Linda, who's probably more familiar to you than I am, she's the church financial secretary here and knows a whole lot of people here. Uh, she has a very rich family history of those who have served, including her father and brother, who were both career army officers, they were West Pointers, and her grandfather, who she never knew, who was also a West Pointer and who died as a Japanese prisoner of war in the Bataan Death March in the Philippines during World War II. So when I thought of that, what did my years of service had never required such a sacrifice? What qualified me to speak? But I realized, you know, after that, and pondering that for a little bit, pondering, and I will say that I can say that safely here in Texas. Everybody knows what that means. That's Texas colloquialism for reflect, I guess, or so. Anyhow, when I considered that, we've all experienced freedom, so I can speak on that behalf. But then again, one of the things that flooded my mind as soon as he mentioned those words, and I didn't hear much after him. I know his lips were moving, and he was, you know, I couldn't see him over the phone, but I could hear words. But again, overwhelmed by the initial request, when he said, speak, what does that mean exactly? Does he mean narrate something? He means give a message? Does he mean preach? Surely, surely not that, because that would imply I have to give a sermon. So let's just put that to rest right now. Okay, there's no sermon here. At least I don't think so. So my mind was racing so far ahead that I hadn't heard James suggest that I simply speak as a person who had served in the military of the personal impact of those whom we memorialize on this day. So one of the other things that ran through my mind, would I be expected to memorize my message? Obviously, no. <laughs> I could say that because it made me very appreciative and very in awe of Pastor James, who gets up here and, and speaks so eloquently, yet from the heart. And I prepared and, and studied and kind of wrote and rewrote and edited and that kind of thing. But I, even as I did that and kind of practiced and rehearsed, I realized I can't do this from memory. So bear with me as I rely on my notes, if you would. So anyhow, so I didn't know what that meant exactly, again, as he then clarified. And again, would I be expected to memorize my message? Certainly not. Then last but not least, as we saw a minute ago, what went through my mind was there is an expectation to me to wear a uniform today. And again... All he had asked was would I consider <laughs> speaking. But all of these things flooded my mind 
initially, you know, I could, I could almost justify all the men. No, no, I won't do that. Uh, but anyhow, you know, because when I thought about my uniform, it still hangs in my closet. I wore it last about 20 years ago, and I remember distinctly even then thinking, it's shrunk the last few years of my service. So, you know, when I further thought about it, I'm thinking, I doubt if the socks will even fit today. So anyhow, I told Pastor James I needed to pray about this and would get back. So after I had prayed about it and was further assured that I wouldn't have to give a sermon and that I could use my notes and that I didn't have to wear my uniform, I accepted the invite. So what is this then if it's not a sermon? <laughs> I think it says up here, and those are kind of the words that I gave to him, reflections on freedom and service. And then when I texted him back, I kind of used a, as my Sunday school class would say, a Joeism. I said, well, I'm going to give a reflectimony. That's a kind of a combination of a reflection of the universal impact of all what we memorialize today, those who have paid the ultimate price, and my own personal testimony, if you would, of how that's impacted me. So that's where I'm going with this. So you're not taking any sermon notes, and even though I brought my Bible up here, I won't be asking you to, to, uh, to turn to any passage, and I won't be doing any expository other 50-cent word, you know, uh, preaching or anything like that, but I'm just going to speak from my heart, from my own experience in a related kind of a military perspective. So these are my reflections again. So as I began to, to reflect on the impact of those who we specifically remember on this Memorial Day weekend, several thoughts kept impressing me, some of which were so obviously, they were practically no-brainers, if you would, yet I had not previously given much consideration to them. Of all the varied backgrounds and lifestyles and uh, life's experience of those that had died or given their lives through all the various wars in America's history, they all had at least three things in common. One, they had all experienced, at least to some degree, the freedom that this great nation affords before they accepted the call to serve. Two, they were all actively serving at the time of the fatal blow that resulted in their untimely death. Some immediately on the battlefield, some later as a direct result of complications from their injuries. And three, after joining the service, they had all been equipped, trained, if you would, for the task ahead of them. So even though they may have come from different walks of life and everything, I did kind of detected those three commonalities. So as I further explored these common threads, as a believer in Christ, I was yet again overwhelmed by the reality of an even greater act of service and sacrifice than that which was given by these selfless men and women. That is the perfectly obedient life and sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ, the very Son of God who knowingly and purposefully went to the cross on our behalf. Similarly, as great as the personal and national freedoms we have received through the sacrificial service of these servicemen and women, unfathomably greater still is the freedom that was made available through the perfect life that culminated in the sacrificial death of Jesus, that freedom being offered freely to all who will simply trust in his name. 
I'm reminded of Jesus' own words captured in Mark's gospel, Mark 10:45. I think it's mentioned up there, a reference. For even the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I'm going to draw some parallels here, if you would, to my life experiences. Service in general and ultimately the service and sacrifice of Christ. So I began to see certain parallels between the service and sacrifice of these men and women, my own service, and the ministry and sacrifice of Jesus. Just like every other person who has ever served in the armed forces of the United States, I had to make a conscious decision to enlist. That's just military words, if you would, for sign up or commit to. I'd like to tell you that my initial motivation for enlisting was a noble one based on a selfless, purely patriotic motive to serve my country. But then that wouldn't be the truth. The truth is that I was bombing out of college because I had no self-discipline, no defined goal, no perceived purpose for my existence. To put it simply, I was a restless soul. Although at the time, I would have just thought I was looking for adventure, for excitement, for purpose. So at the end of my sophomore year in college, what should have been my junior year, I made an impulsive decision to join the service. Literally, it was an overnight decision. The Vietnam War had ended a few years earlier, and the U.S. was in a time of relative peace. I had never had any inclination to join any branch of the service, and I knew very little about the U.S. Coast Guard. But the one thing I had wanted to do for a long time was to become a charter fishing captain and to own my own sport fishing boat. The problem is, although I had been offshore sport fishing a few times with my father, and that's where I got the bug, um, I had never lived near the coast and knew absolutely nothing about op operating a boat in open water. I could probably run a ski boat, but in the open water and open ocean is a different thing. So as God would have it, unbeknownst to me at the time, I had just seen a dramatic Coast Guard recruiting commercial where these young Coasties were shown performing a daring rescue from a small boat in the most adverse conditions. And I determined, this is it. This is, this is what I want to do. So the very next day, I went down to the local Coast Guard recruiting office and signed up. And within two weeks, I was on my way to boot camp. I remember calling my parents that night and uh, from college. That was before cell phones. I was using a pay phone. And I called them, and I suspected they knew that, well, they knew I was restless. They knew, but uh, they didn't have any inclination. Something like this was coming, but they were both on the, the phone on the other end. And I said, well, guess what I did today? Okay, what? I said, well, I signed up for the Coast Guard. A silence fell over the phone. And much to my mom's dismay, I finally heard her gasp. And I could almost hear my dad in the background, yes, yes. <laughs> so I initially enlisted for four years, but when the end of that enlistment came near, I was faced with another decision, to depart the Coast Guard or re-enlist for another hitch. During these first years, the dream of becoming a sport fishing captain had dissipated. I still hadn't determined exactly what I wanted to do when I grew up. 
And even though I had a, new, a few life-threatening and exciting experiences in those first four years, the initial satisfaction for my sense of adventure was beginning to wane. This spirit of restlessness that had laid temporarily dormant for these first few years had resurfaced in my life. This restlessness was now manifesting itself in so many ways, in dissatisfaction with my career path, and yet I didn't have anything better to do, in my relationships with other people, in the development of a self-destructive lifestyle, and resulting in even less, if you can imagine, self-discipline than I had before joining the Coast Guard. I guess I was relying on the Coast Guard to give me self-discipline when all they do is give external discipline like any other. That comes from a different source, self-discipline. So, with as little sense of a definitive purpose in my life as I had when I first enlisted, I re-enlisted or signed up for another six years. Unbeknownst to me at that time was that through the, through the countless late-night prayers offered up by my mother and father on my behalf, the providential hand of God was directing my life towards his purposes. I was transferred to a Coast Guard cutter stationed out of St. Petersburg, Florida, and out of some inner sense of obligation to give my parents some relief from their concern over my seemingly wayward life, I started attending a church there. However, much like how I approached my initial enlistment in the Coast Guard, I had no real sense of long-term commitment to attending church or to becoming religious for that matter. You see, I'd grown up in church, and I had known all the basic Bible stories since I was a child, and I had even believed intellectually in the fact that Jesus was the Son of God and that he died for my sins so that I could live with him forever in eternity. But because Satan had so distorted my perception of freedom, I had come to believe that I would actually lose my freedoms if I trusted in and committed to the Lordship of Christ. Ironically, it was in that church where I began to actually listen to the words of the Lord. I had heard them throughout my formative life, but for the first time, they began to resonate with me. I began to realize that the type of freedom in life I thought I wanted and the path I had taken in pursuit of that freedom had actually imprisoned me. I came to understand that true freedom, ultimate freedom, comes only through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that freedom is truly satisfying. It was through the freedom he alone offers that I was able to escape the sense of restlessness that had plagued me for so long and was able to sense a definitive purpose and direction in my life. It is also in that church that I met the woman who would become my wife, a godsend that would be instrumental in my spiritual development as we grew together in love, first for the Lord and then for one another. But that's a story for another time. I mentioned earlier that, <clears throat> excuse me, I mentioned earlier that one of the common aspects of those who had given their lives for this country was that they were all properly equipped or trained for their mission, whether it be as an infantryman, sailor, airman, medic, support personnel, or other specialty. Their unique mission was equally important to the overall war effort as any other mission. So following my commitment to Christ, for the first time I saw my specific role in the Coast Guard as essential to its overall mission. And I became a professional at it. 
That is, I committed fully to making a career out of it and began to take the initiative to become better equipped, better trained to perform the task that would be required of me. In military circles, I became what is termed a lifer. All those in the military or have been, you know what I'm talking about. However, more than the pursuit of professional career training, though, I sensed that God had called me to serve Him, as He does all those who have experienced His freedom through faith in His Son. And I began to pursue further training in my newfound spiritual life. We as Christians call this discipleship. And so that was new to me, I guess. I found that I was no longer merely attending church, but I had become involved in God's church. There was now a desire to know him more fully and to have a relationship with his people. Lost my place here. (laughs) Uh, With a, a relationship with his people, the church, even as I realized they were as imperfect as I was. So... The more I learn of God's Word and put into application His commands and principles, the deeper I experience the freedom that only He can provide. The restlessness I had long experienced was progressively being replaced by an indescribable sense of inner peace and fulfillment. The lack of self-discipline I had struggled with before gave way to a maturing life in Christ. This freedom from Christ not only canceled the penalty for sin, for the sin which I had committed in my life, but was also resulting in a weakening of the lure and power that sin held over me. That which I had been unable to accomplish through my own efforts, God was doing through his transforming power in my life. I was beginning to experience the reality of what Jesus had declared to those who had been unknowingly imprisoned by sin. John 8, 36 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Sometime later, I'd, I had first, uh, sometime after I'd first experienced this new freedom and begun to grow in spiritual maturity, I was asked to consider, that word pops up again, <laughs> asked to consider becoming an adult Sunday school teacher. My first thoughts were, again, overwhelmed by the third. All I heard was consider kind of scared me. First thoughts were one, didn't this man know me well enough to know I was still learning myself and that my life was far from being exemplary? And two, does he know that I bombed out of college and that I had then and still have an aversion to reading, much less studying? In fact, there's a running joke in my family that I can count all the books I've read during my adult life on one hand. Alan reminds me of that regularly. (laughs) And that's still true in regard to reading for purely entertainment purposes, literature such as novels and fiction. But despite my natural or unnatural tendencies, if you want to see it that way, following my commitment to teach, God began to develop in me an appetite for reading His Word for Christian educational literature, and for study aids, and for all things biblical. I have since amassed a pretty fair collection of books in my library and read them regularly, but there are still very few novels in the collection. I still haven't acquired a taste or a desire for reading for entertainment. I'm still very lazy about that. I prefer to watch the movies. I don't know if anybody else can relate with that. So... 
I guess that the person who asked me to teach probably only asked me because he knew I would be there every Sunday. That was one of the aspects of self-discipline that God had been developing in me in those early formative Christian years. Somewhat reluctantly, I agreed, thinking this would only be for a short time until they found a real teacher. So fast forward to today. Although I eventually retired from the Coast Guard, I have become a lifer in my service to Christ. That means that through the help of His transforming power, I've been able to live daily for Him. Granted, some days are less honorable than others, but overall, I've grown to love Him more and more and have learned to be more obedient to Him as the years have progressed. I have continued to teach from that day to now, again, coming up on 28 years, as I eventually came to the realization that it was God, through the words and, and encouragement of another Christian brother that had asked me to serve him as a teacher. Serving Christ in this manner has become the most rewarding and fulfilling public service duty of my life. So you may be asking at this point, Joe Grimes, what does your life story or testimony have to do with honoring our fallen heroes? My answer would be that when I take time to really reflect on the meaning of this day, I become acutely aware of the personal freedoms I have been blessed with. I am once again reminded that freedom, whether we're talking about the vast and wonderful privileges and rights we have inherited simply by residing in this great nation, or the exponentially greater freedom from the penalty of sin that also enables and empowers us to freely serve Christ and find our fulfillment in Him have come at a great price. Service men and women have given all through the generations to either win their freedom of our nation or to maintain it. And although probably none of them entered service with a desire or intent to die, they all knew the risk and yet still committed their lives to the cause of freedom because freedom was worthy of their service. And it is because of the commitment, the enlistment, if you would, of all those who have served, the vast majority of which came home and those who didn't, that I was born and have lived my life in a nation where the gospel of Jesus Christ could be freely shared and the ability to worship and serve him without fear of persecution was established. My life story is like so many other Christian believers' stories in this building or watching online today. Whether you served in the armed services or not, you have enjoyed the benefit of this nation's freedoms provided by those that did serve. And to be sure, because we live in a fallen world, there will be more wars and there will be more men and women who will commit to serving in the armed forces. Many of them will pay a great price. We do well to continue to honor those who have died and will continue to die to protect the freedoms of this great nation. But greater still, as a believer, you have enjoyed the perfect freedom that comes from your faith in Christ, who willingly and knowingly paid the price for your salvation and all the blessings that are inherent with that salvation. You have been set free to serve him, and like all believers, God has called you into his service. Believers do not serve to earn our own freedom. Christ has done that once and for all, and he offers it to anyone who would simply accept it. No, we serve because we have, been, we have received this freedom through faith in the one who gave his all to provide it. 
He may not have called you to be a preacher or a foreign missionary or a Sunday school teacher, but he has called every believer to serve in active duty in his army, the church, for the purpose of glorifying him and spreading the freedom-giving gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have yet to experience true freedom. Jesus, in the calling of those who would become his followers, said, take up your cross daily and follow me. In military terms, he was saying, as you have experienced this inexpressible freedom through your faith in me, re-enlist daily in your service to me. He will direct your paths in that service and equip you for your assignment in his wonderful plan for your life. And the freedom you will experience through knowing him and serving him will be beyond anything that you could have imagined for yourself. Freedom is not a human concept. It is a God-given desire for his creation to experience through knowing and trusting him. I will leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul as he reminded the church at Galatia, Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free.